welcome to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. If you're new here, I'm Helen. I'm a confidence and business mentor for women, and my whole purpose is to help you clear out any mental or spiritual blocks that are keeping you from leading the most happy, fulfilling, successful life that you could possibly lead. This podcast is about diving into the root core issues that keep us from living in that highest vibration, learning how to alchemize that, and above all, holding space for our humanity as we explore the depths of what it means to be human. so excited about this episode today. I love having this opportunity to connect with you all as a community one-to-one and really hear about what you're moving through, what you're curious about, and what's been coming up in your life. So I love these Q&As because I think it gives us all a chance to get a little bit more introspective and also to not feel so alone, you know, when these challenges arise to remember that Every single one of us goes through these peaks and valleys, and this experience is a shared one, being little humans just trying to figure this out, (laughs) right? So it's actually comforting for me as well to see your questions come in. So this will be a beautiful episode. If you're tuning in on this Sunday, I hope you're having such a wonderful, restful, rejuvenating day. I'm just having my coffee here, starting my day off recording with you all. And then I'm going to go take a nice walk in the woods. It's a drizzly gray day. Excuse me, English. It's a drizzly gray day in Maine. And when it's like this, the forest just looks absolutely beautiful. All of this really bright green moss is active because spring is here. And it's just the best time to walk in the woods. So I'm going to do that. And then I've been so into weightlifting again recently. It's just making me feel so much more alive. Like just in the last couple of weeks, I'm going to go to the gym, going to pump some iron, (laughs) get that heart rate up. And uh, then my family's having a little barbecue. So I just, I love a Sunday, right? Okay. Let's just get right into it. Today is a Q and A episode. So let's dive in, see what, see what came through. Okay, shall we start with a, a heavy one or a light one? Let's start with a let's start with a light one. What makes you laugh the most and what's your favorite family vacation ever? <laughs> okay. I am trying to think of like one that's top of mind. Well, my sister can make me laugh like nobody else. She is a Scorpio and I'm a Cancer. We're a year apart. A lot of people think we are like fraternal twins. And she <laughs> She can really get me going. And one of the things that makes me laugh the most, you guys, is animals doing funny things. And I'm always surrounded by like our family's dogs. They're always doing something ridiculous. Animals make me laugh so much. So if you want to really get me going, like send me a funny animal video. Um, But what has been a great family memory? Okay, well, Not one in particular, but my dad takes my sister and I on these father-daughter camping trips pretty much every summer on my birthday. And we get (laughs) into some of the funniest trips. Oh my God, I just remembered what happened last year. So we always try to go to these like remote islands in Maine. Like we take our kayaks, we take the canoes, we take the tents. And we go on like treks, you know, we'll do a road trip, we'll we'll go up toward Canada pretty much. We'll drive like four hours north. A lot of the times we'll go to like the Moosehead Lake region where my godmother has a beautiful place. And we will have a big adventure for like a long weekend. So last summer (laughs) we drove up 
you know, with the intention to do this wildly remote camping trip. But when we got up there, it wasn't working out to paddle all the way out to this island that we had planned on. There wasn't really a good camping site. Sorry if you're hearing sirens in the background. Okay, they passed. So we decided, okay, we'll just find something on the mainland this year and we'll like tone it down a little bit. At least we're all together. We'll have a have a great time. <laughs> so we, I Google mapped, like this was very off the cuff because like our, you know, out there camping spot was not working. So I just Googled like closest campsite to us, like near a state park. Cause I was like, okay, near a state park will be like nice and even remote as well. It's like, how bad can it be? And we ended up at this little place called Duck Puddle, <laughs> Duck Puddle Campground. We rolled in and we roll in and at first it looks beautiful. Like there's this big barn with like all of these string lights and it's just, it's just so beautiful. Like a campfire. It looks like there's going to be some music out there and we're like, okay, well, it's definitely not going to be remote. There are going to be people here, but this looks cute. And as we drive deeper and deeper into the campground, we start to see it's July and we start to see like Christmas decorations everywhere like and it's a very crowded campsite and we start to see that not only are there Christmas decorations there are a lot of Halloween decorations and all of a sudden people start to kind of come out of their their campsites and their tents like completely dressed up in Halloween garb like all of the kids are running around dressed up like trick-or-treating like banging on our car we were peeing our pants we could not figure out like what was going on? Like, where had we just ended up and what was going on? We come across a big sign that says Halloween in July. And we had ended up on this like party, not remote campground. I don't know how we mistook this so badly, but we, we were, we were in tears. We were laughing so hard because it was so opposite of what we had intended and um, just so not remote, but like these kids were just going nuts in their Halloween costumes. Music started blaring. Like it was the antithesis of everything we had traveled to find. And uh, it ended up being one of our like best memories together as a family because we were we were losing our shit. It was the funniest thing we'd ever come across. So I know it's kind of a had to be there moment. Every time we try to tell this story, it doesn't really make sense, but that's going down is one of the funniest family memories I have, like going away for this serene camping experience in the wilderness, very crunchy, very, you know, in touch with nature. And we end up smack dab in the middle of like a Halloween party in July. <laughs> it was crazy. So we ended up just kind of packing all of our stuff up. We stayed one night and then we're like, what are we doing? We have to get out of here. So we kind of hauled ass like in the middle of the night and went back, back south. So... I don't know. I just have all these wonderful memories with family. Like my dad is an absolute comedian and his whole like life purpose is getting anyone and everyone around him to laugh as much as possible. And excuse me. So that's going down as one of them. Okay. Let's, (laughs) let's shift a little bit into uh, the next one. Can you talk about some meditation practices or things that help with anxiety? Absolutely. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think one of the biggest misconceptions um, around meditation is that there is a right or a wrong way to do it. And I believe that if you are just sitting in silence and in stillness, you got it. That's all that we need to be doing. And that's all that we're asked to be doing. 
So that literally, I think what gets in our minds is like, oh, I'm thinking too much. I need to silence my thoughts or I'm not doing this right. Or I'm having all these anxious thoughts anyway, so I must be doing this wrong. When that's exactly what needs to be happening. Meditation is really creating this sacred, open, open awareness and this open space so that you can explore all of those darker spaces that need to be exposed and those thoughts that really are asking for your loving awareness and your attention. So there's nothing wrong or bad about having darker thoughts or anxious thoughts come up in a meditation practice because I see it like a purging. Like we really need to give space to these thoughts and allow these thoughts to come up so that they can be moved through because otherwise we're just suppressing, suppressing, suppressing and that compounds into belief systems that get even harder to shake. So if we can just allow ourselves to sit in meditation and seriously, guys, meditation practice does not have to be long. It can be two minutes and just stack it into what you're already doing. Um, so even in the morning when you're rising, when you're just getting up before you rush into your day, just sit in bed, sit straight up in bed so that you're kind of coming back online here. You're sitting up and just sit in stillness for two minutes. I like to use insight timer because it has like gongs and bells that are a lot softer instead of an alarm. I just set my timer for five minutes and I just either sit in silence and allow whatever's gonna come up to come up. I observe the thoughts that are coming up and then I actively try to move those thoughts into a more loving space. So if I'm having anxiety, for example, around um, like a client that day or work or travel plans coming up, I will acknowledge those thoughts. And then I'll ask myself, you know, what's the best case scenario? Can I give myself space to imagine the best case scenario here and move through that? So it gets you into this very intentionally positive space after giving loving awareness and compassion to the heavier stuff. So I hope that makes sense. I'm rambling a little bit. Um, so the other part to that, that can be really helpful, especially for anxiety is mantra. So the, the tier one of meditation can just be like sitting in stillness, observing what comes up, envisioning the best possible outcome. Um, just sitting. The second one that I've been really enjoying is mantra. So one of the mantras that I've just been going to is I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness, but I don't want to, you know, appropriate that term too much because mantra is, is specifically related to actual like Hindu mantras that you can chant that have to do with Ganesh, for example. So there's some beautiful mantras that are associated with Ganesh, who is the remover of obstacles represented by that beautiful elephant figure that you see in, uh, in statues in Hinduism. So there's some really beautiful mantras to Ganesh that you can look up and even meditate with, um, I think I've shared some of that on my Instagram, just like some, if you look up like Ganesh mantra on YouTube, there's one of my favorites, like that's this singing group that always just moves me to tears when I go into meditation and I chant with them and I do mantra with them. So I just want to make sure that, you know, mantra is used in the appropriate way there, but mantra can also be used in a looser term to refer to just repetition of a positive phrase. So I am loving awareness is a, is a great one. Um, another one is just, I am safe or all is well in my world. And just repeat that on repeat for those five minutes that you're in meditation. And I'll give you a little hack here. Either listen to calming music in the background as you meditate with this phrase and this repetition so that every time you listen to that song, it triggers this feeling of peace. And another 
tier to that, this, there's this NLP technique called anchoring. So as I've been doing my mantra recently, I've been tapping on my knuckle. You can choose any knuckle, but as I've been doing my mantra, I just tap on my knuckle. So I'll say, you know what? I am, I'm loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I'm doing it right now. And I tap on my knuckle to anchor that phrase in. It's almost this comforting kind of thing to do, to tap on your knuckle like that as you're doing your mantra or your prayer, your affirmations so that, you know, if I experience anxiety throughout the day, as I tap on my knuckle, I have this biological response to that peaceful state that I was in in the first place. So you can look that that technique up. It's called anchoring in NLP. And I use this with a lot of clients in sessions as well. If we're programming in a positive experience and a positive thought um, to anchor in, you know, on a very physical level, that feeling. So I hope that helps as it refers to anxiety, just choosing a prayer, a mantra, an affirmation to go through. Just allow yourself to sit with your emotions, experience what's coming up and direct your thoughts. Uh, and really remembering that you are master in command of your ship here. You are, you truly are in control of your thoughts. So there's nothing bad or wrong about you. If some of these thoughts are more difficult to navigate but just remembering your power and your sovereignty, um, you are in control. So just remembering that like nothing else can take away your power without your permission. So calling your power back to you, that's something I do in the opening of any, you know, group that I'm leading or any client session, we always begin with calling our power back to our bodies very intentionally. So we anchor into the present moment. And then from that space going forward with a higher intention. <clears throat> excuse, excuse me. I'm having a little sniffle. Okay. Beautiful. I'm looking at these questions. Okay. Beautiful question. I would love to hear your thoughts on spirit guides versus our ancestors. Mm. Yes. Okay. So let me tell you what I have received from my own shaman, my beautiful diviner, uh, my shaman, Mark, when I see him, we had this conversation recently because I've been working a lot with my maternal line of ancestors. Um, and first of all, when you're working with your ancestors, I really recommend, especially for women listening, going through your matriarchal line, find out their names and write that down, like write that down in your journal. See how far you can go back to like to your great, 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 great grandmothers, as far back as you can trace and gather all of the names of your grandmothers so that you have that as a record so that there's this familiarity that gets built. So when you're in prayer or when you're doing any rituals or offerings or anything to connect with your ancestors, you can refer to them by name and really call them in with intention. So what Mark explained to me was that the ancestral realm is very different from the spirit guide realm and that not everybody passes into the ancestral realm. And in many ancient African cultures, and I think a lot of different cultures, they will have a massive kind of death process for people that are passing over to cleanse and clear their energy field so that they can move into the ancestral realm, like clean, clear, and ready to guide people in the living realm. So not everybody crosses over there. If someone's had a life where they just haven't cleared up a lot of karma, basically, they will, they will enter a different kind of you know, realm, they might reincarnate, they might come back as somebody else for another life cycle uh, in this living world, in this earthly realm, 
or if they have done the work, if they've done the spiritual work, they will graduate into the ancestral realm. But he explained it like when people pass and they cross into becoming an ancestor, like if they come in like muddied energetically with all this kind of mud on their clothes and they try to enter that home of the ancestors, they will get turned around to get cleaned up. So I love that way of explaining it, you know, so a lot of uh, cultures, which I think we're really missing in a, so much of America and these Western cultures is like these amazing sacred processes that get people ready to cross into another realm. It's just a given. It's like we do pass, we do cross into this other realm and we can prepare for that really beautifully. So I even remember learning about this in my ethnomusicology course in college that in a lot of African cultures, they will drum, they will drum out dark, denser spirits so that whoever's passing is, is cleaned, cleaned and cleared with music, with music, with love, with dance, and they're ready to pass. So I hope that makes sense. That's how Mark explained are passing into the ancestral realm. And then the ancestors will guide maybe a few generations and then they will pass into the spirit guide realm or they'll pass into another dimension that we aren't super familiar with in this lifetime, but we can get more familiar with. A lot of you know spiritual traditions and wisdom refers to at least nine to 12 dimensions that we can ascend into. And our realm is, you know, more like third, fourth dimension, but imagine the graduation that occurs and the lightness and the levity that occurs as we graduate through these different dimensions and touch into those energetic spaces. So when we think about ascended masters, for example, even like Jesus, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Kuan Yin, like all of these ascended masters that have been referred to historically, they're probably hanging out up there in like the 12th dimension, you know? So these people that have mastered what it means to be energetic beings and spirits and move in love are probably way up there in those much higher dimensions. Um, so of course, you guys, this is all from my perspective and my learnings and, um, I am excited to get even more familiar with this. And I think my interpretation of this will probably change and evolve and grow over time. But this is what I have come to understand now. Um, yeah, I think Ram Dass is probably up there, you know, in those beautiful higher dimensions as well. And we can call upon that, you know, we can channel those energies down into our dimension in prayer, in meditation. We can work with these different energies. A lot of quantum healers call upon Yeshua energy or sacred Mary energy or Ram Dass. We can, we can ask for guidance here. Um, because the thing is time and space are collapsed in these other dimensions. We live in this very linear world on earth where we are bound by time and space. And that is not the case in other dimensions. So trying to refer to these other dimensions by the bounds of time and space is kind of illogical. And it's something that I think we are learning to wrap our heads around as we deepen our own spiritual practices and get to know ourselves as energy. As we begin to experiment with the dream world and the astral world, that brings us closer to these astral realms and these different realms of energy that are much more malleable. <clears throat> okay, so that's how I interpret the ancestral realm is it's much more like it's closer to our dimension and they are our ancestors who are with us and with our kids and our kids' kids for maybe a few generations until they graduate into their into their next phase. Not everybody goes into that ancestral realm either. And then spirit guides, I would say, are even like in another dimension. And they can be, you know, totem animals or totem symbols, or they can be guides that came through from another lifetime. Maybe they're somebody else's 
you know, ancestor that's graduated into the, into the spirit guide realm. But I do get the sense that it's a very different energy than the ancestral realm. It's a little bit more ethereal. And I have seen, I have seen my, my spirit guides come through in my, one of my first like LSD trips, to be honest, in college, one of my, one of, when I had a big spiritual awakening in college, I remember I was standing outside on this monastery that was underground. It was very sacred land. And I remember there was a storm coming in and I was on this beautiful medicine and I asked for my spirit guides to be revealed and through the clouds I saw them come in I saw this beautiful Native American chief come in which I think is why I'm really connected to indigenous wisdom or or I'm very curious about indigenous wisdom and honor it so deeply I saw him come through who I'm still um, trying to activate more of as well I saw Gandhi come in. I saw Jesus come in. I saw Buddha come in. So all these ascended masters came in. And I think that we all have these spirit guides that um, belong to many of us, you know, and there is no real belonging with this, but what the energies that we are bringing in very intentionally or even subconsciously. So I'm still trying to figure out where the spirit guide realm is and where that lives. But I think it it comes in when we need it the most, or we'll see symbology or we'll, is that a word? (laughs) Symbolism. And we'll see certain things that, that feel very deeply resonant with us. And we'll say, okay, this is part of my spirit guide realm. So, um, yeah, that's what my interpretation is. Now the spirit guide realm seems to be very apparent in the dream world, in deep meditations. When I do Reiki or when I receive Reiki, I always have some something interesting come in and they, they might be like earth spirits as well, or more of like, there are other interesting realms to play with as well. Mark was just referring to my, my own diviner and shaman was telling me to really tap into the fairy realm and the nymph realm and work with water beings a lot more, um, as spirit guides as well. So I think the spirit guide realm can include a lot more. Oh, I love this next question. I'll answer this because we were just talking about it. What got you into helping indigenous people and how do you raise awareness about this oppression and incorporate indigenous wisdom? I love this question so much. I'm trying to remember like when and why I was so curious about indigenous wisdom. I mean, back to childhood, I remember my grandmother would always read my sister and I this book called Hiawatha this beautiful book about this indigenous boy who was super connected to nature. And it really helped us to understand our innate connection to nature and how we are extensions and a part of nature. So that was like ingrained in my psyche very young that something about indigenous wisdom was ringing true. And this was ancient wisdom that, that was going to need to be cultivated throughout my life in so many ways. And I just remember my grandmother always building fairy houses with us and always teaching us about plants and nature and the land and making sure that we were connected to that. And actually my grandparents sponsored a native American man, um, who worked with them for a while. So I'm just like having all these memories that are coming up right now of how this has been around in my mind since childhood. 
Let me know if this sounds like you. You're still trying to figure out how to love yourself and enjoy solitude. Maybe you've been struggling with low self-esteem, negative self-talk. Maybe you've tried therapy and it's not been working for you and you feel anxious about posting online, sharing your life in any capacity. Maybe you're feeling lost in your spiritual and personal evolution. I have been there. I know what it feels like to throw basically everything at the wall without getting results from trying yoga, breath work, journaling, exercise, even therapy, but nothing helps. That was me in my early 20s. I did not feel confident in my own skin. I was really struggling with self-esteem and loving myself and I was at a total standstill until I invested in my own mentors and really started to lean into my authentic code and my authentic soul's blueprint to kickstart my healing journey. That's why I've created the Confidence Mentorship Series for you. It's a 16-week program one-on-one with me. And my top priority, my purpose is to create a safe and non-judgmental space for you to explore your inner world, to guide you to the depths of your being so that you may find your own unique pearls of wisdom. I'm here to hold your hand as you alchemize and transmute shadow, allow light to touch all of those darkest nooks and crannies and bring you back home to yourself. So if this feels like a soul resonance for you, just head over to the description and you can apply for the mentorship in that link. And I'm so excited to get to know you. Back to the episode. And I also remembered that the house that I grew up in, in Maine, was on a um, a battleground site. Like it's a very old house from like the 1800s. So we had arrowheads around in the backyard. And I just remember this being a point of conversation and reading some books about who was here first on that land. And I think I really started to get curious about advocacy and deeper research when I did my road trip out to California. Um, every state that I crossed and every national park that I entered, I would look up either a YouTube video or a podcast about the history of that place. And I remember it really clicked in in South Dakota, where there is so much history around Native Americans and indigenous peoples. And I remember looking up a map too, to see what different, you know, peoples and communities, tribal communities inhabited each of these places. And I had no idea how many different indigenous groups there were spanning all of America. Um, and as I was traveling and reading, you know, a lot of these national parks would have, have beautiful monuments or, or s- stories about these indigenous peoples that, that lived there first. Um, and I was just like, where are these people? You know, where are they? I don't see a lot of Native American people around. Like, where are they? And I started to see that I was passing reservations. And the reservations that I was passing were, to be honest, disheartening. And and it made me sad because knowing that these people had lived and flourished in such a beautiful way before settlers came in, and then they were forced to live in these new places that were oppressive was so sad to see, to be honest, and to just hear more about the struggles that indigenous people have gone through in America for the last few hundred years, whether it's building up to like alcoholism or substance abuse issues because of the oppression that they went through, because they were forced into those states, a state that was unnatural for them. So it really made me, it stirred up some kind of sacred rage. I was like, this is fucked up that, um, these beautiful communities have been pushed to the brink. And I remember I really started to get upset about it because I was in California and I was in, um, 
Well, first, okay, South Dakota, I entered the Badlands and the Badlands had a reservation near it. And I was like, how are people even living out here? Why is there a reservation out here in this extremely hostile environment? This doesn't make sense. Like, why would anyone choose to live out in such a hostile environment? As I researched, I realized they did not choose to live out here. They got forced to live out here. They got pushed to the brink out here um, intentionally by white settlers to push them to the brink of starvation, basically out in these no man's lands where they couldn't hunt. And there's so much history around settlers like killing off all of the buffalo, um, the most sacred animal to native people, uh, their source of food of, you know, and, and as we know, native Americans would use all of the parts of an animal. So the buffalo were an integral part of their well-being, And these, you know, white settlers wiped out the buffalo and all of their resources. And they pushed native American people into reservations that were desolate, that were extremely hard to find clean water and shelter and food and have very harsh elements like way out in the desert where they're not getting a lot of shade. They're, they're beaten down by heat. So that really sparked me. I was like, no, they did not choose to have a reservation here. Like they got pushed out here, uh, you know, pretty recently in our current history. So first it was the Badlands seeing that. And then I entered California Literally, this place, this national park is called Death Valley. It's a beautiful national park, but you don't want to be, you don't want to stay there for more than like a few nights to experience the beauty of the nature, but you can't possibly live out there. And right in the middle of Death Valley, guess what? Is a, is a reservation. And it just made my blood boil. I was like, how are these people out here on this reservation? There's the, it's a food desert. It's almost impossible to get healthy food out there. There's nothing for people to hunt or forage out here. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is just like crazy. Like, you know, it just made me so upset to see that these people have not been given a life and like dignity to continue their practices. And yeah, so it was really then where I was just like, my eyes were open because I was seeing it in real time. It's like, I think we hear about reservations and we think like, oh, they're just in these like, you know, great areas and very lush and all these things. Okay. And I was just like, no, these reservations are out a lot of them in these very desolate, hard to live places. So you wonder why indigenous people are, you know, experience the highest mental health issues. Like, it's not their fault. It's because they've been pushed to these places. So this is why I'm very passionate about the land back campaign as well, about returning land to people that it was stolen from so that they can begin to flourish again. And I have a lot of hope for this campaign. And I think a lot of beautiful things are unfolding here. Um, There was this amazing video that I posted on my stories recently, just about Buffalo being returned to native land. I think it was in South Dakota, somewhere around that. It was just so emotional to see the Buffalo returning to native land because these are their sacred animals. This is, it it was a symbol of life being returned to these people. And there's some amazing, you know, creators like Notorious Cree, who's bringing back dance and teaching us language. So I highly recommend following him on Instagram. Like just powwows are coming back up. Like a lot of 
yeah, a lot of just like amazing dance and music and native traditions are coming to the forefront and they're really being able to be seen. And I'm so grateful that this is happening. And I think it's this kind of wave and this momentum that's being built by some amazing creators. And, um, um, some of my beautiful friends, Kiwana Chasing Horse. Kiwana has been on the podcast, by the way, guys, I think she's episode 81. She is really at the top, uh, of the game as an advocate. So she's of course, this amazing model. She's, you know, a top model, but she is first and foremost, an advocate, which she would say herself, which I just have so much respect for. So follow Kiwana, see what she's up to. She's an amazing advocate. And then DeFaro Wunatai, who's her boyfriend. I just love them as a couple. They're, they're some of the kindest people. And DeFaro is in this Hulu series called uh, Reservation Dogs. And I highly recommend watching this series because what comes to light about Native American people is their humor. It's such a funny show on Hulu. I highly recommend you watch it, but you really get an inside look on their tradition, but also the very real issues they're facing as a people. Um, so I would watch that. I just think there's like a lot of like young leadership coming to the forefront around indigenous peoples and rights and getting land back for them and having restoration occur. The other reason I'm so passionate about this, not just on a, on a humanitarian level and that it's, it's the ethical thing to do to make sure that these communities get revitalized and they have their resources and their needs met and that they're able to express and shine more. The other thing to this is that indigenous wisdom, I truly believe is the key to saving our, our planet. And I don't even say that lightly. Um, and this really became apparent because the house that I moved into in Topanga, um, I was living with a documentary filmmaking crew that was m making Kiss the Ground. They just made Kiss the Ground at the time and they had just come back from Ojai. And so the whole house was based around indigenous wisdom and talking more about this and figuring out what the next steps were and what next documentary they wanted to make about bringing this to the forefront in our, in our culture and in our talking points in pop culture. But if you haven't seen kiss the ground, definitely another amazing one to watch because there are some fundamentals here that are just undeniable indigenous wisdom and the way that they would farm the land was very holistic and it was very respectful of the land. They had farming techniques that worked really well. And so a lot of what Kiss the Ground is covering is a farming technique that doesn't involve tilling and that returns to indigenous wisdom on how to rotate the soil, how to plant plants that will bring back ecosystems and regenerate ecosystems. So indigenous wisdom, I truly see is the way forward for bringing our ecosystems back to life because a lot of what's happening on our planet is desertification. And we see this happening all through California is that we have deserts appearing everywhere and it shouldn't be deserted. Um, and I had John Liu on the podcast as well, way back. I think he's probably around like also episode like fifties or something, but John talks about ecosystem restoration and how the desertification of our planet can be reversed through indigenous wisdom and planting and creating irrigation in the right ways. So this is why I'm so passionate about it because I think ancient wisdom is the key forward and indigenous wisdom is the way forward. And plus what a beautiful community indigenous people have such beautiful stories about, you know, have beautiful creation stories. Each different tribe and community has a different way of referring to their creation story because these were the first people 
And there, we still don't know how indigenous people like came to be in America. There's a lot of different theories. There are a lot of theories that there was um, a land bridge between here and like China and Russia that split off. Like when Pangea was, you know, on the teetering on the edge. I think a lot of Native American people don't really like that story. Everybody's got different stories, but I would encourage us all to do some more research on some of these beautiful stories and tap into how we can honor the land more deeply. What I love about uh, indigenous cultures and wisdom is that it prioritizes the connection to everything. It's this beautiful connection that they have to nature, which I think is what most of Western culture and Western, you know, people and everything is forgotten, especially with the rise of technology. We've forgotten a lot about our connection to nature, but Native Americans have this understanding that everything is connected. All parts are used. Everything is connected. And there's this deep reverence and honoring for Mother Earth. So I could talk about this all day, but I, I hope that gives some insight into how important it is to to stay in touch with with these beautiful communities and these cultures and to learn more. There's so much to learn from one another in different cultures and not just indigenous people either, but all cultures, if we could just open up our minds and our eyes to the beauty that every culture has to offer, I think the world would be a better place, right? And so just on the second part of that, how do you raise awareness about this and, and incorporate that into our advocacy? I think in anything that we're advocating, like on Instagram, on our stories, whatever, I think it can be a little disheartening when we see people posting like, this is what's wrong in the world. We've got to help here, but like, that's kind of a dead end. So I always try to make sure I have a very specific call to action. Like if I'm going to post about a land back campaign, for example, I'll say, sign this petition. Here's a link to sign the petition, you know, so that there's a very actionable, tangible piece of advice um, or a, like a to do for somebody to click on and actually follow through with so that we can actually make a very tangible impact together. And then I think beyond that, just sharing the beauty of these cultures that you're passionate about and stories that you're passionate about so that more people are curious to learn more because it's really about awareness. Like this is why we see as we see indigenous stars and young people rising to the top of pop culture, the land back campaign is doing better, for example, and more documentaries are getting made. And it's amazing because more people are talking about it. So I think awareness is key, just like exposure and just an acknowledgement is really helpful. So just keep sharing about what you're loving, you know, what you're watching, what you're consuming, what you're passionate about, what, what kind of optimism you have for the future and create calls to action so that people can take really tangible steps forward. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. I'll, I'll do one more. It's going to be kind of a shorter episode, I suppose. Maybe not. I don't know how much time we were at. What is the last rock bottom you hit and how did you get through it? Excuse me. I have the sniffles. Okay. Let me just keep it real. I've had a, I've been in a rock bottom the last couple of weeks, to be honest, after I did my launch for the confidence mentorship. And then I went to Paris and Lisbon. It was this amazing trip. I was on this like super high. I, I booked these amazing new clients. I had clients renewing all these things. And I got back from that trip and I felt just like this happens. I think after a lot of like high highs, we kind of crash from it. Sometimes I think we hear a lot of musicians talking about this too. Like they'll go on a big tour and then they'll come home and they feel kind of sad. So I had this rock bottom, you know, just coming back from that trip 
I just felt like sad to not be exploring the world anymore. But that sadness honestly led me to inspiration about like where I want to go next. So I think I mentioned in my last solo episode that I'll be going back to New York for at least a short period of time before traveling to other places. But um, I had this clarity that's like, okay, it's time to leave Maine. I think I've gotten what I really loved out of this. So after the summer, I'll shift out. So I learned a lot from the darkness I experienced after coming back from that trip. Um, and then also I have been outspoken about my support for Marianne Williamson recently and protecting trans rights and trans people. <clears throat> I've gotten a little fired up about that. And I had a um, potential new client coming in who I was so excited about. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, this is going to be such a wonderful journey together. And I, yeah, full transparency. I keep it real with you guys. I posted about protecting trans rights and was being outspoken about that. And I got a message from her saying, I don't support trans people. I think you're wrong about this. So I don't want to join your mentorship anymore. And it just made me feel so sad. And it made me feel like, should I not be posting about this stuff? Is, is this bad for business? Should I be keeping my mouth shut about these things? Like, what if I'm driving the wrong people? Like, to me or, or sorry if what if I'm like driving people away like maybe it's best to not speak out about any kind of politics or anything that I'm like passionate about in this area it's too risky and it made me just feel sad first of all because I was so excited about you know joining with this amazing new client and then it was sad for me to see that you know just our the the denser parts of the human experience where we reject one another based on our differences and that is okay. So I felt like I had done something wrong in that moment and I had to move through that. I got to move through that. And I'm also just learning so much through this process. Like how can I be outspoken about what I believe in and what I believe is based in love while also being kind and compassionate about how I make my own arguments basically um, without being unkind to anybody I'm disagreeing with. So I'm just learning a lot through this time, but that was like disheartening to come up from this big high, high to kind of have this little crash that felt like a tower moment where, um, you know, I felt like I was not being good at my job or all these things. So, but it really made me reflect and, and dive into my own subconscious healing. Like I am really good at what I do and I'm going to focus on the women who are having quantum leaps with me and that are doing really well. And this is also someone who decided to drop out of the mentorship before she even joined. So, you know, it's different than that. So I, I am being asked to trust that I'm, I'm doing a really good job and that it's okay. And that part of running a business, you know, this is it, this is part of it. And then I got very sick. I think I had salmonella. Oh my God. Some, some intense food poisoning this like last week. And like just the gut mind connection led me into this, you know, just heavy place of like, where is my passion? I'm not excited to be like alive and creative right now. There's nothing I want to do. I feel bored in life. Like I don't, I'm like a failure in a lot of ways. Like my mind was just going into like all of these self-limiting beliefs about how I wasn't good enough or ready to do certain things or like, you know, my health plummeting there for the last week really put me in a tailspin. And then, you know, a couple days ago, I was just like, Helen, I, I got healthier. And I was like, enough. <laughs> okay. I had to, I had to have a little like harsh moment with myself or just like, um, what do they call it? I don't know. Just like a come to Jesus moment. I was like, Helen, it's time to stop wallowing 
It's time to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Okay, things happen. You get sick. Someone doesn't want to work with you. Like you were outspoken about these things. People disagree with you. It's okay. Like get back on the horse. Like it's time to stop wallowing and identifying with this person, this character that is in suffering. So I made an action plan for myself. I just wrote down like what I did that post uh, on my Instagram about like my prerequisites for aliveness. That came because I was journaling. I was like in that rock bottom moment. I was like, I feel like my world is kind of crashing right now. What's going to make me feel alive? So I wrote those down and I shared that, but Um, I was like, physically I'm ready to get more alive. Like I need to be doing weightlifting. I need to be taking walks in nature. Let's see where I can get more creative and more inspired. Like, you know, all these things, da, da, da. Um, so I just kind of put myself through a little like mental health boot camp over the last few days, like watching documentaries that really lit me up, diving into my education, reading books that really inspire me, um, listening to podcasts, like finding other people that have gotten through tough moments in entrepreneurship, um, and just making an action plan for moving forward and being and choosing to be optimistic because I could tell like I was getting comfortable complaining about how I didn't feel good or how someone was upset with me or all these things, like just a sob story, you know? So I had to give myself a little like kick in the tush <laughs> and be like, Helen, it's time to rise again. It's okay. And just remembering as well that like the path to success in any way is not a straight line up. It has dips. It's like a wavering line, but the line is moving up. There is an upward trajectory. And I know that whatever I'm experiencing now, whatever difficulties I'm having now, I'll be able to teach the women in my mentorship. So what I'm really remembering to do is sink into gratitude for who I am working with right now and who I am surrounded by and friends and family and the love that I have for the location that I'm at right now. And being present, just literally being more present and being kinder to myself in my own mind, because I definitely like can be harsh with myself sometimes. And I don't recognize that, okay, I'm actually doing really well here just because someone disagrees with my opinion or perspective doesn't mean I'm a bad or wrong, excuse me, person. Like it's okay to have disagreements. Um, So I'm just having all these really wonderful tests come up and I'm feeling so much better. And I honestly think like moving my body more and eating more nutritious foods and getting more sunlight and having a plan um, for how I'm going to move forward in a better feeling way has been extremely helpful. It's just a practice. Like we always talk about, it's the, it's the strategies and techniques that I have that I teach. Like I am, lear- I'm relearning them myself on a daily basis. I'm making sure that I walk the talk. So when these rock bottoms come, um, I might, you know, wallow for a minute, but then I really try to get into like, okay, what's the lesson here as soon as possible? What is this teaching me? What am I learning? And this is temporary. This is not going to last forever. And something that I was reading from a Brene Brown book the other day was she was talking about hope, not as an emotion, but hope as a thought process. Hope has so much more to do with planning, setting goals, and actually creating a vision for how you're going to navigate a point of pain. So it's less of an emotion and more of a plan. So I really like to think about hope like that. It's like having optimism with tangible steps forward. So I love that. So yeah, (laughs) this is all to say like, it might feel like it's the end of the world at some point and it's just not, it's going to be okay. So create a plan, create an actionable sense of hope for yourself to move through those rock bottoms. And 
Um, like we were talking about in the beginning, how to move through anxiety with meditation, just sit with it, let it come up, let, let yourself cry, let yourself melt a little bit and then know when it's time to pull yourself up. Just, you know, know when it's gone on for a little too long. This other, um, docu-series called the coach's guide to life or something. It's a great docu-series on Netflix. One of the coaches was saying she has a basketball team. That's a women's national championship basketball team. And she said, when we lose, we only give ourselves a 24 hour grief period. And we do not bring that into the rest of our life because she was noticing that a lot of the team players, they would have a loss at a game and they would all get depressed. So they made a rule. They're like, we only wallow for 24 hours. And then we're back on the horse. Same thing with a win. They have 24 hours to celebrate and then they're back in the game, you know? So I've been taking that own, you know, that mentality into my own life as well to say, you know, how, how long have I been wallowing? Has it been 24 hours? Like let's, let's, let's get back on the horse here. So I think I will leave you with that. Thank you so much for being here, my friends. I just love you so much. I'm so grateful for you. If you found that this episode resonated with you, share it to your Instagram stories and leave a review if you feel called. I'd be so grateful. I'd love to see what what's landing with you all and how I can just continue to serve you in the best way possible. So have a beautiful rest of your day. Have an amazing week ahead. We just made it through that eclipse and... Um, yeah, things are looking up, my friends. It's going to be a fucking awesome summer. And I will talk to you on the next one. Yay. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.